Well, good morning. It's great to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, you know, it's one of these times where a lot of us uh, might have some extra time off, might have a long weekend. I realize that is not true for everybody. Uh, and so if you do have some time, uh, and based on what I saw yesterday, we were coming uh, down from up north on 35, and I just, I thought, was there an accident? What is happening on the people, all of these thousands of cars going north? People are enjoying this time. But remember that that time and this freedom comes at a cost. And so we remember and we appreciate and we honor all of those men and women who, who gave their lives the ultimate sacrifice to protect the freedoms like that we have, even just to be able to get together right now in this place is not something that's true uh, throughout the world. And so we, 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 thank, uh, we thank the people that paid the cost uh, and continue to do so for our freedom. So uh, if you've been with us, you know that we are going through the Gospel of John together. And because we're doing this and we're taking our time, uh, we've made it all the way. Are you ready for it? This is a milestone. We're in chapter 6. Okay? Woo! All right. I'll be excited. Uh, okay, so chapter 6. And now this is, the, if, if not the longest chapter in the entire Bible, it's, it's not that, but it is the longest chapter in the entire New Testament. There's 71 verses in John chapter 6. And so we don't want to be in, in a real big hurry, but I got to give you a little bit of a warning up front today because the chunk of scripture that we're going to look at together is long. And so uh, th this is good. We should read scripture in big chunks. We don't always get a chance to do that, but we could spend a whole series just talking about this section that we're going to talk about today. And so we're not going to be able to cover absolutely everything in this to the level of detail that maybe we would like to, but I think that this will give us a clear picture or a clearer picture of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he has already done for us. Uh, and so we're going to dive into that. If you, if you brought your Bible, you can feel free to turn to chapter 6, uh, and we're going to be looking today at verses 22 to 59. Uh, 22 to 59, so like I said, a big chunk. Uh, now, if, if you want to read along, that's great, but I'm also giving you the freedom if you just would like to hear it and absorb it uh, as we do this together. I want to read this, but before we actually do that, Let's just take a moment and ask God to be with us right here, right now, and to do what only he can do. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for gathering us together. We thank you that you continue to knit your body together with the power and the person of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask now in this time that we have together that it not be my words, that are heard, but it be your word. Your word is what we so desperately need. Lord, you have the power and the authority to get the job done, to change us, to transform us, but beyond that, to, to raise us from the dead life of sin into a new life with you. So we ask that right now in these moments that we have together that you do exactly that that you put the old to death and raise the new to new life, the new life that you promise us in your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, John 
chapter 2, or John chapter 6, verses 22 through 59. Now, now just to catch us up a little bit, uh, remember, this is all right after this miraculous feeding. At the beginning, we talked about, uh, beginning of John chapter 6, we talked about the, the feeding of the 5,000. And then we also mentioned that, well, there were clearly more than 5,000 people there. By the time you add women and children into that mix, we're talking at least 15 to 20,000 people. Uh, and so lots and lots of folks that were not only there, but participated in this miracle that Jesus did. He fed people where there was no food. Remember, it started out with, with five little barley loaves, or we even said that that might be an overstatement. It's like five barley crackers and two little fish. And somehow Jesus is just creating more and more abundant food where there was no food before. And so these people experienced that. They saw that. They ate of the loaves. They, they ate of the fish. They, they were there. They participated in it. But at the same time, they still didn't quite understand who Jesus really is. And so now, when you're seeing somebody right in front of you that's doing these kinds of miraculous things and, and must have that kind of power over everything to be able to do this, well, they wanted to make him king. And understandably so, right? They, they wanted him in charge. If you've got somebody that can do this kind of feeding, this kind of healing, we need this person in charge. Then we're really going to get what we want done, done. Which their main objective was to free themselves of the occupation of the Romans. So they thought Jesus was the one. So it says in verse 15 in chapter 6 that they were going to make a move to forcibly make him king. They were going to make him king no matter what it took. And Jesus was on to this, of course, because he could see it coming. And so he retreated to the, to the mountainside by himself to pray. And the disciples, well, they didn't go with him to pray because guess what? Not even the disciples were getting the memo on who Jesus really is. Now think about that. The disciples themselves who had been with Jesus this entire time, they still really don't understand the truth about who he is or, or really maybe even why they're following him. And so Jesus wanted to, to drive that home even more, to help them understand more about who he is. So what better way than to send them out in a boat in the dark, in the Sea of Galilee, by themselves, where he knew there would be a storm. And we talked about beyond just the physical, natural type storms, we talked about what is it like for us to have storms in our lives. I don't know what your life circumstances are right now. Maybe you're going through a storm right now. And we talked about how, well, the only way we really get through the storm in the way that God wants is to invite God into the boat. And that's exactly what the disciples did. In the midst of the storm, they were getting blown further and further out to sea into the middle of nowhere. And Jesus came walking on the water, came walking on the water, and there he was, and they received him into the boat. Because it wasn't until then, it wasn't until they received him into the boat that they got to where God wanted them to be. It says they got immediately, they got to where they were going because that's what Jesus does in our lives. He takes us to where we need to go, even though it might be painful, even though we might not even want it. Uh, Jesus is faithful, and he leads us and guides us to where we need to go. And so this now is coming on the heels of all of that. 
Jesus was, remember, he was out praying on the mountaintop. The disciples had left. And that's where we kind of pick all this up. Because the crowds of people, remember, Jesus, this was the height of his popularity. It was the height of his popularity, and more and more crowds of people were coming all around him uh, because they wanted to see, well, what, what is this guy going to do next? I mean, this is amazing stuff. What, what, what could he possibly do next? So they're following after him. Jesus knows this. And this, by the way, this section we're reading today is some of the most shocking and controversial in all of scripture. And this is on purpose. Jesus is doing this on purpose. So he not only is, is starting to get in trouble for the things that he was doing, the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he was doing, but he's now starting to really offend people by what he's saying. Not just the people that we're hearing it, that we're reading about, but it's offensive to us right here, right now. And so uh, let's read it. And then we'll check in after that, all right? Uh, verses 22 to 59. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures unto eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you then give that we might see it, might see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can, he can now, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourself, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. 
Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching at the synagogue in Capernaum. And so I suppose I should start with another little disclaimer here, right? If, if this is the first time you've ever been to church, and this is the first time you've heard this text, or maybe you've been coming to church your whole life, and this is the first time you've ever heard this text read or considered this, all of this starts to sound like, what have I just stumbled into? right? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Okay. So right away, I need you to, to hang with me. This is not some sort of cannibalistic cult that you have found your way into. That's not what is happening here. Jesus is teaching something very important about the essence of who he is and what he's come to do and how we are to look to him and how we are to relate to him. And so it, it's not about the, the physical uh, body and blood and all this kind of stuff, although depending on what your background might be, you, you might have, have heard a lot of this, you might have had a lot of questions. Well, guess what? We should have a lot of questions about this. Jesus is saying all kinds of stuff. It's not just offensive to these folks, it's offensive to us as well, if we want to be really honest about it. It is offensive. And so we're right to have questions. And so did they. And look, they, they start with the questions uh, right away. Uh, look at verse 26. Uh, sorry, I've lost my spot there. Uh, Jesus is there, and he is having this conversation back and forth with them. And they are knowing that he got there. Somehow he managed to be there where they finally find him. And they know that he didn't get there because he rode in the boat with the disciples. Right? So this, they don't understand. They're, they're trying to find out, okay, well, what were Jesus' travel plans here? How did he make it from where we saw him before to where he is now? That, those are the kinds of questions that they want to ask. And so we've got kind of good news and bad news. Good news is that they're searching for Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. They want to find Jesus. But more of the kind of bad news is that, well, why are they looking for him? And we're, we're going to get into that. We're going to get it because Jesus calls it all right out in the midst of this conversation. But the good part about that is that Jesus wants us to find him. Jesus wants us to find him. And so they're searching for him. They're looking for him. But again, why is that? Because 
Well, you know, I was just in the, in the green room here, and I was, little Ellie Sandvig is, she, she, I don't know why, but she likes me. Uh, she's two, two years old. And uh, we, we, right back here, started playing hide-and-go-seek. And, go seek. and uh, this, this is the extent of the hiding. It went like this. Okay? So what happens when you play hide-and-go-seek with a toddler? Right? You, you hide in plain sight, pretty much, Right? Because you want them to find you. Let me say it another way. If you don't want them to find you, there's something wrong with you. You should not be playing hide-and-go-seek with little kids. But the whole idea is that they want to find you, and you want to be found. And so remember that as we go through this. Jesus wants us to search for him. He wants us to look for him. But he wants us also to be doing it for the right reasons. He wants us to find him for the right reasons. Our motivations are are important. And that's what he starts calling out right here. They start asking questions about his, his travel plans, his travel arrangements, how this, when this, all that kind of stuff. Jesus, he doesn't even respond to those questions. Look what he says in verse 26. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures onto eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So in other words, Jesus knew that they were missing it. More specifically, they knew, he knew they were missing him. And don't we do that all the time too? We start to focus on the wrong things. We, we start to misunderstand these things, even when we read about them, like these signs, these wonders, these miracles, we can get focused on the object, on the thing itself, rather than Jesus who is doing the giving. And he sees this, so he doesn't respond to them because they're asking, well, how did you get here? Because they, did you do something cool and we missed it? Did you do something amazing and, and, and we, we missed out? Like, how, how do we make sure that we, we understand what happened here? But he's not interested in that. He wants them to find him for who he is, not for the goodies that they have been getting. Because remember, these are the same people, these crowds of people that either had eaten of the loaves and the fish themselves, or they had certainly heard about it. And so they were searching and looking for Jesus, but they were doing it with the wrong motivations. Because the signs and the miracles and the wonders are supposed to point us to Jesus, to the person of Jesus. And so I, for those of you that grew up in Iowa, you already know this, but for those of you that try to avoid Iowa or maybe have never been there, it's not a terribly exciting place, but uh, one thing that we had that we looked forward to just about each and every summer was we would go to this place called Adventureland, uh, right? Oh, there's, somebody's been there. It doesn't usually garner any excitement whatsoever. I mean, adventure, I don't know. It's kind of a stretch. But Adventureland, okay? So th that was kind of like the, you know, tier two of theme parks. But some years, we either went to Worlds of Fun in Kansas City, which was great, or we went to Valley Fair, okay? Valley Fair. Now, some of you are young enough that you won't have any idea what I'm talking about. Others of you, you know what I'm talking about. It used to be when you went to Valley Fair and you would buy the tickets and you would get ready to go in, they would give you a map, right? They would give you a map. 
And you would look and you would see all these amazing things on the map. Oh, look, we do this and we do this and this is amazing and all that. Now, what would it be like for you if you went and you, you bought the tickets, you were standing in the thing before you got into the park and they gave you the map and you looked at the map and you said, this looks amazing, it's awesome. Let's pack it up, go home, forget about it. Uh, we, we've experienced everything we needed to. Well, just because you had the map doesn't mean you had the experience just because you had the map that showed you how to get where you needed to go doesn't actually mean that the map itself is what you're after. The map itself is just pointing you to what the experience is that awaits you. And so this same kind of thing happens with Jesus. He's doing these amazing things, these amazing signs and wonders, but the point is not just the bread. The, the point is that it's the relationship with him. It's recognizing him. It's knowing him. It's going deeper in that relationship if you already have one with him. It's learning more and more, not only about who he is, but who he's calling you to be in your life. But we miss out on that experience when we start focusing on the wrong things. That's what Jesus is trying to break these folks out of because it's easy for them to focus on the wrong things and it's easy for us to focus on the wrong things. And so they start asking more and more questions. But by saying that he has the seal of God's approval on him, what he's essentially saying is, hey, all these other things, all these other things and all, all of these inferior things that you're focusing on will never actually satisfy you. They're just temporary things. But if you turn to what is eternal and what Jesus is offering here, well, that's what he's interested in. And he, by saying that he has received the seal of God's approval, he's saying that, that he is the one and the only one who has the power and the authority to do it. He's got the power and the authority to do it. And so I want you to consider this. When we focus on what's eternal, Jesus will satisfy our temporary hunger. But when we only focus on what's temporary, we will have an eternal hunger. You see how that's different? We spend most of our time thinking about right here and right now. And with good reason. These folks had immediate needs. We have immediate needs. But sometimes we look to, as, or to Jesus as kind of like he's a genie or something. Well, I need you to take care of this and this. I got, I got a list, Jesus. It would be great if you could take care of this. And then That's not what Jesus is interested in. And so when we focus on what's eternal, he provides what is temporary, what we need, how, how we're getting to where he's calling us to go. But when we focus only on those things themselves, only on those temporary things, then we're missing out. And therefore, we, we have this insatiable hunger, eternal hunger. And Jesus is saying that he's the only one that has the power and the authority to give us what will truly and finally and completely satisfy us. And so that didn't work. So they start kind of turning well. You said something about don't work for the food that spoils, but work for what endures on to eternal life. So what do we need to do, right? They go inward almost immediately. They, they didn't get anywhere with asking him about his travel plan, so now they start asking about, like, well, what are we supposed to do? How, how do we do this? 
you know, if you're saying all these things, uh, how, how do we get it? What, what do we have to do? Because they want, and we want, God's seal of approval too. Don't we? That's what we would like. We would like to know, how can God approve me? But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying he has the seal of God's approval. And therefore, whoever believes in him is who has this gift. Because they kind of miss this. They miss this right in the same sense. And Jesus is, you know, I really like some of the things that he says because you really don't see how he's setting up the pins and then knocking them down. You just don't see it coming. And so right in the same sentence that he's saying, uh, work for what is eternal, work for what leads to eternal life, he then right after that says, this bread that leads to eternal life is something that the Son of Man will give you, will give you. Well, if it's a gift... You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's something that he says he will give to them. And that's exactly what he says in verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And that automatically is offensive. And that's just not just offensive to them, it's offensive to us. Because we think, believe? That's it? What are you talking about? Believe? It's got, there's got to be more to it than that. I've got, to ha- I've got to do something. I've got to do something to get on the good list. I don't want to be on the naughty list. I want to be on the good list. I want to earn God's approval. So therefore, there's got- you tell me what to do. And Jesus said, the only answer is believe. And we hear that and we think, well, that, that can't be sufficient. That can't be enough. So then they go on. To say, all right, well, if you're going to make these kind of claims, if you're going to say this kind of stuff, well, then what are you going to do to prove it? They want proof. They want to know that this is legit. And so look at verses 30 and 31. So they asked him, well, then what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, here now we stumble into one of the main points here that we need to to focus on. Their gold standard is Moses. It's this guy named Moses. Now, Moses, you might know, you can read all about this in in Exodus 16, uh, but Moses is this guy that God chose, who he called Moses to be the instrument to set the captives free. God's people had been captive in, in Egypt for 400 years, and God chose Moses to go and free these captives. And so Moses did that. But then after they got out, after they got away from the Egyptians, after the parting of the Red Sea, well, then they were out in the wilderness. They were out in the wilderness. And as you might imagine from the word wilderness, well, there's not a lot to eat or drink out there. And so the people were going to start starving and everything else. And so they were desperately hungry. And that's what they're referring to. Because there was this flaky bread, like they didn't know what to call it. There was this miraculous, flaky, bread-like substance that they called manna that they ate in the wilderness and they survived. And and they all attributed this to Moses. They're they're talking about Moses. So they're saying, all right, Jesus, if you're going to make these same kinds of claims that we've heard before from our ancestors that have passed these stories on and on and on all through these generations, if you're going to make those kinds of claims, then you certainly better be able to deliver like Moses did. What are you going to do 
to prove it. What are you going to do to show us that you have the authority to make these kinds of claims? But again, by just asking those questions, it's clear that they still aren't understanding, right? They're still not getting it. They're focused on Moses and the manna and not on the real miracle worker himself. They're focused on the things. They're focused on the wrong things. They're focused on the food that will spoil because he says over and over again, those people are all dead. Matter of fact, Moses is dead. Moses can't give you anything. He's dead. Well, that, maybe that's not really offensive to you and I in today's world, but to these particular folks, hearing that kind of, of truth about Moses is very, very offensive. It's wildly offensive. And so he's saying it's not Moses at all. Look at uh, verses 32 and 33. Now this, I want to take just a moment and say that we're going to read this from the ESV, just this, these two verses here, because there are some really interesting um, Greek words that are best translated in, in the ESV. A lot of times we use NIV and the ESV, and those are kind of the two that we bounce back and forth between. But for this little thing, there are a couple of phrases that I want us to look at this because Jesus makes this huge leap. He, he reframes this whole thing in just these two verses. So take a look, starting at verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you see how he makes this shift? Do you see how this promise that at one point was just for one particular group of people, God's chosen people, the Israelites, do you see now how in Jesus this promise is growing exponentially. It's no longer talking about one particular group of people, one particular place. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's something that now he's bringing into the present. God is doing something in Jesus. He's giving the bread of life now in this moment. And then he's got an eye toward the future saying, this is not something that will spoil. This is something that goes on for eternity. This is something that leads you into eternal life with God. And so it's not like what Moses has given at all. Now, after all of that, look at their response. This, I think this, this is so representative, not only of these folks, but of us as well. What do they say to all this? 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. They're still looking for the bread. They're still looking for pieces of bread. They, again, remember, they were there. They saw Jesus creating this food from nothing. They, they, they experienced this. Many of them ate that, you know, 15, 20,000 people. Well, now Jesus is talking about all this bread, 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 bread. And they're looking for the pieces of bread. Sir, give us this bread. And so finally, Jesus, you know, enough is enough. He can't say it any more directly than this. Look at verse 35. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. 
that statement, this I am the bread of life, is really quite a statement. Now remember, he's had a few, uh, a few times that he's said things like this leading up to this. Most notably, when we talked about it, when he was walking on the water, anybody remember what he said to the disciples? Because they were afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. But then he says this phrase, in Greek, it's ego ami or ego ami, uh, which just simply means I am. I am, which is a reference again back to the, the name that God had given Moses when he sent Moses to go rescue the captives. This, this name of God, Jesus is claiming a divine identity, equality with the Father. And he's doing it now by saying, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the true bread. I am the only thing that will sustain you. And this, of course, is not something they can accept. And so they start grumbling and they start asking like, what in the world is he talking about? We know this guy, right? This would be like somebody in your hometown all of a sudden is making these types of claims and you're saying, uh, wait a minute, we know his parents, you know, there's no way. That that's what's kind of going on here. Don't we know this family? Don't we know his mother? Don't we know his father, Joseph? What's he talking about? He came down from heaven. No, he didn't. But yet, isn't it interesting that they think they know who Jesus' father is? They think his father is Joseph. But Jesus knows far more about their true father than they know about his. And so he goes on and he starts talking about this. Take, take a look at verse 43. Stop grumbling amongst yourself, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, when we hear all of that, it is no surprise that the people are grumbling. Maybe you're here today, right now, in this moment, and you're grumbling, saying, I, this does not seem to add up here. What is going on? What is this guy talking about? What are these claims that he's making? And, and it gets much worse. I mean, then he goes on and starts really doubling down and saying, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, then there's no life in you. And he says it over and over and over and over again. That is really offensive. It's, matter of fact, a lot of his own followers stopped following him after he said these things because it was that offensive. So, so remember that. Remember that Jesus has said several things right in a row in just this conversation that have driven these people to despair on some level, anger on another level, and confusion maybe even on the third level. Think about it. He called out the fact that they were looking for him with the wrong motivations. He said, you're looking, at me for, looking to me for the goodies, but you're not looking to me for me to be in relationship with me. 
Then he goes on and says, oh, by the way, uh, it's a gift that I will give you. There's nothing you can do to work to earn it. You have to believe that it's true. Uh, believe in the one who God sent, who is Jesus. Then, they, then he goes on and says, uh, oh, by the way, your hero, Moses, take, take, take the poster off the wall. Moses is not the hero. Moses didn't do anything. Moses did not, he was not capable of providing what you have given him credit for. That bread of heaven came from God alone, not from Moses. And so there's that kind of offense. Then he says that he, in fact, is the true bread. He's the true bread of God that has come down from heaven. They don't understand how that works either. Then he goes on and says, well, he's the only one that has God's seal of approval. Nobody else does. It's just, it's in him alone. That's offensive. But then probably the most offensive thing, which I just alluded to, is that he says, by the way, nobody can come to me or believe in me without the Father drawing them to me. Now that is really devastating. Think about that for a minute. Are you telling me that no matter what, I can't want God? That, that God is saying that he is the one that has made the choice for me? Th- think about that, because that can get really, really uncomfortable really quick. Uh, here's, here's an example. This, I was out when I, I know I've told you about my time in Salt Lake City, but what I haven't told you yet is... Uh, when I first got this job, we went out with everybody that worked, uh, all the executive leadership and spouses, we all went out to brunch together, okay? And Salt Lake City, I, I guess they've got great seafood. I don't know. I don't really like seafood. I'm not really interested in seafood, but guess what they had at the brunch? You got it. So, uh, so as we're sitting there, I'm looking at, well, okay, well, what are we going to eat? What I'm calculating, like, what am I going to eat here to survive this event? And the, all of a sudden, this plate of, of mussels comes out. And uh, I'm looking at that, like, and my boss's wife, Melanie, she happens to notice that I've, I'm, I'm quite concerned about looking at this. And so she, at one point, says to me, you know, because I've avoided this for as long as I can, she says to me, why don't you, why don't you have one of these mussels? And I said, uh, ooh, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. Uh, so no, thank you. And she said, I "Really think you should try one." And I'm like, "Look, I can kind of see just from this and my experience in the past, no way." And she's like, "I'll give you 50 bucks if you eat one." <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, "Well, okay, 50 bucks." And uh, so I'm trying to talk myself into it. And so, you know, she's like, are you serious? 50 bucks? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you 50 bucks to eat. So I ate it. You know, a lot of chewing. <laughs> Get done with that. She gives, I, she gives me the $50. I'm like, wow, all right. This is awesome. Good day. But you know, then she says, why don't you eat another one? I'm like, oh, man, I, uh, I definitely am not going to eat another one. And uh, she's like, oh, I think you should eat another one. I said, why are you going to give me another 50 bucks? And she says, yeah, I'll give you another 50 bucks. And I'm like, well, 
I guess maybe I could eat another one. And at that moment, she looks over to my wife, Tammy, and says, I'm going to need to give you, for you to give me another $50. Yeah. So after I realized I was putting my own money in my pocket... But in, in that, in that, now don't miss this, because I mean, it's, it's a fun story, mostly at my expense, but actually all at my expense, but the thing that didn't change, the thing that didn't change in that moment was that even with the $50, I didn't want that muscle. I never wanted that. It didn't change my desire at all. The, the $50 or the, the encouragement or the, oh, way to go, the affirmation, nothing about any of that changed my desire or my want for that. And in a, in a very strange way, and maybe it's hard to make this connection, but in a strange way, that's what Jesus is saying here when he's saying, you can't come to me and believe in me on your own. It's only when God draws you, the Father draws you through this Holy Spirit to be in relationship with Jesus, it's only then that you will see me for who I am. Now, the difference between my experience with eating muscles and, and not being able to get past it, not ever wanting them, is that once Jesus, once God draws us into that relationship, once we get a taste, once we have the fulfillment of what the psalmist says about taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, then we can't get enough. It changes our desires. God reorders our lives. He changes things about, he creates a brand new person that is not focused on just our or your, our collective desires, but focused on what his desires are that his will be done, not ours. And so we can't get enough of that. And sometimes I don't think we realize and or appreciate the reality of that. Because we think sometimes that it's, well, I've heard all that. I've heard all that and I don't, I don't need that anymore. But the reality is we need it all the time. We need to be constantly fed with this true bread, this bread of eternal life, this bread that when we cling to him, the person of Jesus, and we believe that his promises are true, and we trust that he's telling us the truth, when we cling to that, then we will never be hungry. We will never be thirsty. When we recognize that this true bread of life is the bread that did come down from heaven, the word made flesh. Remember, we talked about that all the way at the beginning, John chapter one, the word made flesh. He took on flesh and he came and dwelt among us. And in so doing, he took all of our sin upon himself, past, present, future. He became sin. He was crucified on the cross in place of us. He died the death that we should have and deserved to die. And he gives us his life. It turns out he wasn't very good at being dead. And neither are you when you believe and you trust in him. 
when you feast on the truth of his word, when you feast on the truth of his promise, then you will not go hungry. You will not be put to shame. You will not be disappointed. Instead, God will continue to lavish his grace upon grace upon grace upon you. Just like at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus demonstrated God's abundance. He does that here right now for you. And so when he says the bread is his flesh and he gave his flesh, he's talking about what he did on the cross for us, for our lives, so that we could come to live with him, not, not in an eternal existence. That's not what's going on here. He's talking about eternal life. Life that doesn't start after we die, but life that starts right now when we believe and we trust in the promise of Jesus. Now you might be saying, well, didn't he just say that I can't do this on my own? That I can't, I can't come to him? Well, yes, he did say that. But here's the deal. He also said, the Father is drawing you in to relationship with Jesus through the word of God. All will be taught by the word of God. That means when you hear the word of God preached and proclaimed, when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, he's drawing you into relationship with himself. Maybe for some of you today, it's the first time. And maybe for others of you, it's deeper into that relationship that you already have. But whatever it is, God is calling you He's calling you with open arms. He wants you to find him because he's already found you. He's found you because he is the true bread that has come to save you. So no longer should you be hungering after the temporary things that will spoil, but instead... Focus on what gives you life. What does that look for you? Look like for you in your life? What does your spiritual life look like? If we, if we just celebrate the fact that we have a Bible and we never open it, then how can we feast on these promises of God? How can we feast on the word of God? How can we feast knowing and clinging that the promise is made true and continually is being fulfilled in this person of Jesus who is the true bread. And so when you walked in, you received some communion elements and they're prepackaged and there's a little bit of a, well, there's a little bit of a learning curve there. So I want, I want to give you a, a heads up that uh, there's a little cellophane thing on the top. Uh, and if you open that first, then you will find the wafer. And that represents the body of Christ, broken for you, broken for you. And so in this time we have coming up, we're going to sing this, this last song. When you're ready, I would like for you to just kind of prayerfully take some time and seek the Lord in these moments, knowing that he's already come to you right now. Then eat the bread and then when it comes time to drink the juice, whenever you feel ready during this, this next song, then remember that Jesus shed his blood 
for you, for you, for the forgiveness of sins. He gives himself to us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We don't have the seal of approval, but through Jesus, he has extended that to us. By his stripes, we are healed. Through his suffering, we have been made whole. And so feast on the truth of the promise of Jesus. Every time we do this together, it's not about, oh, this, this is really the body and this is really the blood. It's, it's not about that. When we do this, it's not just a religious ritual that we participate in. It's us actually expressing and proclaiming the truth together as a community, as the body of Christ, that we believe and trust his promises are true. And when he says he has done it, that it is actually done. So feast on this word, this true bread, this bread of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together, drawing us and knitting us together as your body by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we surrender the things that we're chasing that we think will satisfy our hunger, but instead are just perishable, terrible substitutes. Because we know, Lord, that when we get desperately hungry, we grab for all the wrong things to feed us. Lead us and guide us into feasting on your word and your promise. Lord, we believe and we declare that you are the true bread that you are the bread of life. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We lift your name, Jesus, above all other names, and it's in your name we pray.